Here we go. Just another sports podcast. Uh, counting down, anxiously counting down. Uh, the days uh, to the football season is now... It's now days and not it weeks is. anymore, so uh, we're, we're getting really close. I mean, high school football starts next week, college football gets underway in earnest this weekend, and uh, we're only about 10 days, 11 days away from the start of the NFL season, and uh, everyone's really excited, and I am excited about this particular episode, Josh, because we have a uh, special guest, and I'll let you introduce him. Yeah, I'm even more excited than you are, Greg. All right, our guest today is uh, one of my favorite sports journalists in the land. He covers all aspects of the Minnesota Vikings for Score North 1500 AM and scorenorth.com in the Twin Cities. Uh, this guy grinds football tape and embeds, uh, embeds it in analytical stories. He finds unique angles like how a Tecmo Super Bowl play is actually unstoppable in the NFL today. He, he has an affinity for journeyman quarterbacks and, uh, and YouTube videos of 1990s NFL games. Uh, and he has a strange tolerance for interacting with idiotic fans of the Minnesota Vikings like me on Twitter. He is Matthew Collar. Matthew, how are you, man? I got to tell you, that was the most accurate description <laughs> of what I do that I think I've ever heard. You okay. do it all. Yeah, you do it all, man. Well, I, I, I've been completely impressed by, uh, by you since you took over this beat, and I, I'm like incredibly thrilled to have you on this show. So thank you for coming. Well, I appreciate that. You nailed it. Uh, watching <laughs> 90s YouTube videos writing about technique and scheme things that no one cares about and yelling at people on Twitter is pretty much the perfect description of my job. That, that is. Well, how, how did you get – what is the last 90s uh, video that you watched on YouTube of a, of a football game? Oh, uh, I was just watching 1996 Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots, because uh, in talking with the Vikings fullback C.J. Ham, we got into a conversation about neck rolls, and he said yeah, that baby. neck rolls are out – fullbacks can no longer use them i was like why man i mean some of the toughest guys of all time had the neck rolls like sam gash he had never heard of sam gash Whoa. so i went looking for a game and i can confirm that sam gash uh was not trying to increase his toughness with the neck roll he probably thought that that did something for protecting his neck it probably didn't but it made him look badass and he definitely <laughs> totally. was in that game Sam Gash was often used to block like outside linebackers blitzing because he was such a monster. He and, he played uh, for that. He played for the Ravens. That one too. Yeah, he played for the Ravens at some point. I think didn't he? Uh, he might have. Yeah, I mean he bounced around a little after the Patriots, but I remember him most as being like a '90s Patriot guy, where he was just this unbelievable pass blocker. And when they so chose not to pass the ball with Drew Bledsoe, he used to throw like <laughs> 70 times a game. Um, Sam Gash would just plow whatever linebacker and, you know, they would go for a touchdown with Curtis Martin or something. So, uh, yeah, that, that was the last one. I was looking for Sam Gash tape, and I found it. And the best part of that game was how washed up the Buffalo Bills were by 1996. You know, they, they go to the four Super Bowls, and yeah. then it was like they just fell off the side of a cliff. Jim Kelly couldn't move anymore. Andre Reid was slow. Thurman Thomas still had a lot of heart but wasn't any good anymore. And uh, you know, it sort of speaks to how fast great teams fall off. But it was kind of interesting to watch the washed-up Buffalo Bills getting run over by the best fullback ever. <laughs> yeah, you answered my question there, Matthew. I was curious about the quarterback matchup. What we had Bledsoe versus Kelly? Uh, was, was that the? Yeah, yeah, that that was uh, Kelly's last year, and um, the Bills still had a really good defense, so they were smacking around Bledsoe a little bit. But Willie McGinnis at the time was a young player. Imagine that. And at the end of the game, Kelly gets pressured and just sort of has to heave the ball because he can't move and his knees didn't work. And I was thinking about how funny it was that Kelly's like 32 
going on 52 at the time. And if he had played in today's era, we'd be like, oh, he's a young quarterback, age 32, right? Like, uh, (laughs) it's funny that Andrew Luck retires at 29. I think Kelly wasn't much older than that when he retired, but everyone understood because he had gotten his ass kicked for so long. Well, so that was a team whose championship window had closed or was closing. Uh, You cover a team that I guess some people were probably going to say their championship window is probably closing this year, maybe next year. So I wanted to get into, you know, the team that you cover and how you cover them and what you do day to day with the Vikings beat. And I, and I know, I know you're coming up on the end of preseason and it's finally coming to a, a a conclusion. Thank God. But what I want to know is what is the most annoying part of training camp for you? And it doesn't have to just be this one. You could tell us what's been the most annoying part of this one. You could just tell me what's the most annoying part of training camp in general. Well, first I would say uh, good job on your transition because I would have just kept going about the (laughs) I I knew I had to cut you off. There could have been the entire podcast. Um, Was was Belichick the coach? Was, Was that his first year with the Patriots? No, that was uh, it was Parcells. Parcells, yeah, so okay. it was uh, okay, Parcells right. versus Marv Levy, right. Battle of Titans. Yes. All right, back to the Vikings. Sorry to sidetrack you there uh, with with yeah, the right. YouTube well, question. Go look that one up. It's great. Anyway, uh, if you have like three hours to watch a game from <laughs> a really long time ago, so uh, the worst or most annoying part of training camp. Well, see, I I really enjoy covering training camp going out there to watch the team practice every day and and I, I don't think I've ever had a day where I've said man I hate watching these guys practice football because it never stops being interesting to me to watch the intricacies of how a team sort of grows through training camp so it's like officially training camp might be 20 days or something like that and so that's 20 times where reporters get to go stand on the sideline and really see how freaking great Stefan Diggs is at football, right? I mean, you see him compared to these other guys who are good players, some of them draft picks, guys who had these great college careers, and then Adam Thiel and Stefan Diggs just smoke them. Mm -hmm. And and you you just watch the excellence of Kirk Cousins throwing the football. I've said before that Sam Bradford throwing a football is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. That the, that even though the guy didn't have a great career, he was the best thrower of yeah. the football I've ever stood on the sideline and watched. He just threw laser beams, and they were incredibly accurate. And watching Cousins versus other quarterbacks who are his backups, you're like, okay, wow. I, I guess I would have paid him too. Um, but you know, but you know, so wait, so wait a minute, and, and everything changes, but. What's that? So wait a minute. You're saying that you you have seen Kirk Cousins play, and you can clearly tell there's a difference between him and say I don't know Kyle Sloter, the number three quarterback, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say there's a massive difference. I don't know if it's quite 84 million dollars worth of difference, right. but it's 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 a lot. I mean, the execution of yeah. the offense with Kirk Cousins in there, the accuracy of the passes, uh, the crispness of them, just how they travel through the air. I mean, Kyle Floater on a pretty regular basis will throw ducks that sort of (laughs) run into the air and fall down. Um, But, you know, the way that Cousins can throw a deep ball is truly incredible. And and Stephon Diggs is the guy that most impresses me every year. He can't be stopped. I mean, even when Xavier Rhodes was at his absolute best, he would still get smoked on a daily basis because Diggs is just incredible at route running and the details of route running. And then he's got high-end speed, too, and just blows by people. So that, right. that's – I know you asked about annoying things. I like all that. Right. The annoying things are the preseason games yep. because they mean nothing. 
The team doesn't care about them for 99% of the roster, and fans love to watch them and draw conclusions. So this is not just about Kyle Sloter. I, I know that uh, that's been a huge thing here. It but has. it's about everything. It's about the third running back. It's about the punter. It's about, the, you know, whatever. It's just they're practicing every day. They've had these guys for months and months. They have tape going back to high school for some guys. And yet fans will think, oh, well, the guy had a good third preseason game, and that's the all-important one, so that matters. So trying to draw any conclusions because people want you to write about them and want you to talk about them, and it it feels like counterintuitive. Yes, listen to my football podcast, but this third preseason game, don't watch it and don't listen to me talk about it because it doesn't matter at all. Uh, I think that's the the biggest part of it is I feel like I'm really wasting my time showing up at the football stadium and trying to uh, like take anything away from these silly games. Especially this next one, Matthew, because it's the fourth game and no one even plays in that game. Uh, So so that's got to be the worst of all the preseason games is the fourth game uh, for a guy like you. Well, you always root for that one to be on the road because no media outlet (laughs) in their right mind sends people on the road. I mean, the newspaper will do it, I guess, just in case. But um, if you're an AM radio station, you're budgeting carefully to send me to places like Kansas City or like Green Bay for real football games and not to Buffalo for the fourth preseason game because it doesn't mean anything at all. So I'm lucky enough to not have to travel to watch this atrocity of a football game. But at very least, we have a kicking competition. And if there's one and only one thing that you should root for, for your team that you cover as a reporter to have in preseason, it's a kicking competition because that's the only real simulation of actual football. If you, if you think about your team on offense, are they calling any plays they're going to use in the regular season? No. Um, are they even playing the guys who are going to play in the regular season? For the most part, the answer is no, unless, uh, I, unless they're making a mistake by keeping starters in and, say, getting Cam Newton's foot hurt or something like that. Um, usually they take the good players out. <laughs> so the only simulation of a real football play that will be the same in the regular season is actually kicking a field goal. And, oh, yeah, most of the crowd is doing the wave by the third quarter, so even that. Uh, you don't have the same type of pressure that goes along with a kick. But that's that's the thing I'm holding on to here in the fourth preseason game. Is like, well, let's, let's see how these guys kick the football. I mean, it's a it's a sad existence at this point. I mean, everyone is desperate to just get it going. All right, here we go, Matthew. I'm appointing you commissioner of the NFL. You are in charge. What can be done about the preseason? I mean, everyone agrees it's horrible. The fans don't like it. The fans just like it because it's been months without football and they get their first taste of it, but generally it's a horrible product to watch. The league admits it's a bad product to watch. How would you fix the preseason as commissioner of the NFL? Well, I think I've, I think I've got this um, because if I was the commissioner and I said, no more preseason, all the owners would say, um, TV deal, buddy. Uh, and, and they televise them and they'll roll Al Michaels out there to call preseason games, which, I mean, why? But people watch them so if they're part of the tv package with nfl network fox etc then something has to be on tv but my answer would be each team gets one home game one away game so you play two preseason games i don't think you can entirely eliminate them and then they have scrimmages where there's no tackling and they're sort of treated like pr events in a way so it's like a joint practice 
between, let's say, the Vikings and Jaguars. They're going to televise it. They're going to interview people on the sidelines. They're going to run plays. People are going to show up. I mean, you think about the night practice here in Minnesota sells yeah. out every seat by far. The Green Bay has the scrimmage, uh, what is it, maybe the golden green scrimmage or something, and they sell out the whole stadium. People are so bonkers for football that they will definitely still watch a non-contact practice and maybe even enjoy it more because you could have first team versus first team most of the time. Yeah. And is it real is it real tackling when it's the first teams? I had a former player tell me just yesterday that he, when he would he was an offensive lineman and sometimes defensive linemen for the other teams in the preseason would say, "Look, buddy, let's not uh, <laughs> let's not do too much of this, okay? I'm not using any moves." You just block me, and let's get through this. And so, yeah. so where's the entertainment in that? If they're doing a, a live practice, then I think both teams would actually try. They just wouldn't be afraid of turning an ankle when someone tackles them. So there's my Commissioner Matt idea. And, and, you, and you would charge fans to come watch this? Uh, because the owners are going to squawk about, hey, we're losing revenue, we're losing money, even though they don't need it. They, they would squawk about the lost revenue. So you would charge fans... A, a ticket price to come watch this scrimmage? Sadly, yes. Uh, I would have to, right? If I'm the commissioner, I have to make sure that my owners are still making money. But if you think about, um, so my family was in town and they went to the Vikings third preseason game, God bless their souls, and they paid money for it. Uh, and it was probably like $15 because all the season ticket holders are just selling away their tickets at the lowest possible price because they don't care about this at all, and just anyone, please take this from me. And so maybe you don't charge full price for it or whatever. Maybe it is 15 bucks, and everybody's still earning their money. But when you look around at these preseason games, it's not like they're filling up stadiums to standing room only anyway. So I think you could probably make that pretty close. No, but they are forcing the season. They are forcing. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I agree, but they are forcing season ticket holders to buy these tickets to these games. Yeah. Yeah, yep. so, so that, yeah, that that's the one that's, that's the one potential snag. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. They should just chop two two games off and just be done with it. But again, the the owners who are already rich, these are like pet projects. These NFL teams for these owners because they're they're rich doing other things largely, and and why they would squawk about another two million dollars in preseason revenue? I I, I don't get. Oh, it. to have but, such yeah. a problem, wouldn't that be nice? Right. <laughs> hey, I had a question. I, I thought of something just the other day. I guess I was reading something about this last preseason game, and you know, I guess you guys are doing your projections for the fifty-three man roster. Where in the hell did the number fifty-three come from, and why isn't it more? <laughs> um, that's a great question, and I really don't know the answer to that. Like, yeah. who was the first person that said, "You know how many it should be exactly fifty-three? Yeah. Um, but I, I to the second part of the question. Um, I think it should be more. Considering the number of injuries that happen, considering just the wide array of talented players, I mean, when you get down to this, sure, you're going to have your starters who are way better than everyone else, but there's another 10 guys or so, the practice squad guys especially, who have potential, and there's a reason they're they're here, and we see a lot of practice squad players. I was just talking with uh, Mike Zimmer about this the other day, just the number of practice squad players on every team, I don't think it's super unique to the Vikings, who end up on NFL rosters and becoming yeah. starters and significant players. 
So, I, you know, I, I think that uh, to, to even give teams more options to rotate players into games and things like that, um, more special teams players so you don't have to play starters, I think that maybe when this was formed, and again, I'm not sure exactly when the 53 was decided on, yep. there probably weren't that many talented players as there are now. I mean, there are guys now who are coming from colleges you never heard of who actually look pretty darn good at football. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it would be a bad idea to expand the rosters on game day to being like 60 players. Right. I've always I've always wondered that. Hey, you mentioned uh, just talking with Zimmer the other day, and I, and that's something I wanted to kind of get into is, is, is I wanted to get a sense from you for how much time you actually get to spend around the players and the coaches considering how much, you know, content you're charged with generating about this team and considering, you know, they're just most of the time you're probably grabbing them when they're on their way off the practice field and are, you know, have better things to do than to stand there and talk with you for 20 minutes. So if you could just give us a sense as to like, you know, how often you actually get to interact with these people and do you ever get to, you know, have a sit down one-on-one say with, you know, uh, 20 minutes with Adam Thielen or somebody like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, I think the Vikings do a great job of, getting the reporters who are there on a daily basis um, some help with doing our jobs because there are, are you know certain people from certain outlets who will come in once a week or something like that, but then there's a core five or six of us who are kind of always there all the time. So we get Mike Zimmer on the side at his golf cart, which is always kind of a fun experience because it's more a little more relaxed than in front of a podium. It's not uh, televised or periscoped or whatever number of live streaming things that the Vikings have. So he'll just come over after, um, you know, a training camp practice, just, you know, all sweating and hoarse from yelling at his players all day. And then we'll just get to kind of throw questions at him. And sometimes it's uh, you could tell that it wasn't a great practice. And other times Mike Zimmer can be awesome at breaking down football. So you mentioned at the beginning that I like to do some stuff that'll kind of take a football scheme and kind of explain it in different terms so somebody can um, you know, watch a game and maybe understand a little bit more about what's going on out there. Well, Zimmer is always willing to explain those things. So you know, we'll throw questions at him about personnel packages and different defenses and schemes and things like that. And he generally likes to answer those, and he loves to talk about player development and things like that. So it's, it's a great opportunity for us to learn more about the game from somebody who has spent his whole life doing it. Uh, so on that side, we have really good access to Mike Zimmer. On the player side, yeah, I mean, pretty much any player who's willing to sit down with you, you can get if mm-hmm. you kind of set it up with the PR and things like that. Mm-hmm. If you don't, then you're talking about grabbing them off the field, and maybe that's more of a short five seven-minute interview or something like that. That's during training camp. Uh, During the regular season, they have periods of open locker room. And I've discovered in my experience now from several years of covering the team that the day that you want to get guys is on Friday because that's when they bring in the food. So you'll have players eating on Friday, and and who's going to be – uh, unhappy when they're getting a nice right. warm what, meal. What about, after, Ra- what about uh, Randy practice, Moss? What especially about- when it's cold as hell out here. So, um, <laughs> what, you know, hey, it, Randy it, Moss. Start- Randy Moss had an issue with the food. At, at, he uh, did. He camp, did. Right? You're right about that. Yeah. Luckily, I haven't heard any issues with the actual food. Usually, guys are pretty happy, aside from Randy. I think, but, yeah, he said he was um, going to feed I, it to his dog. I think at some point. That that's yeah that's right and I man that is an all time low Randy Moss moment isn't it Were, were you um, in the locker but, were you in the locker room for that He uh, no no I hadn't actually moved here yet when that happened yeah. um, I might have not been a professional journalist yet when that happened right. um, but 
what, that must have been 2010 probably. It was 2010, so I I yeah. I was just graduating college at that point. So, uh, But I, definitely that's one that the other uh, reporters who are longer tenured than me will talk about as <laughs> being a sort of a, a moment of lore. Um, and, right. and a lot has changed, I guess, since then in the NFL. Um, but, you know, that it, that's a time to kind of go around and, and get some more interesting stuff from certain players. And then, you know, you there's a, like always an open locker room time, but you kind of learn how to, you know, maybe there's a bunch of TV cameras on one side of the locker room and there's somebody you want to talk to on the other side. You kind of make your way over there and that sort of thing. So there's, there's a little kind of game to it of getting what you need and, and being a little yeah. unique um, in the interviews that you can get with guys. But, you know, over, I think uh, over a couple of years here, I've been able to, uh, just come up with some pretty good relationships with players so you know who's willing to break something down for you and, and who doesn't really like to talk as much and that sort of thing. And um, I've had a really great time with it. It's just one of my favorite parts is when you get somebody kind of interested in a topic that you're writing about and then have a great conversation with them and go write it. It's kind of cool. I'm curious what it's like to cover a coach like Mike Zimmer because Zimmer is a Parcells guy and and some of these Parcells guys, I, I don't know, Bill Belichick comes to mind. They're not they're not too fond of, of the media. How, how does Zimmer treat the media on a daily basis? Oh, well, daily basis is hard to say because you'd have to ask me what happened that day. Yeah. I mean, it's you, you really ride the roller coaster with Mike Zimmer. It's um, uh, you, you get on in September and you never know where it's going to take you. Um, is, is, he hostile to, is he hostile toward the media generally or is he cordial or just how does he treat you guys uh, generally? All of the above. And it, I don't think it has a whole lot to do with us. You know, I mean, yeah. Mike Zimmer is a really emotional guy. Like he has cried at the podium probably five times since I've been here. Different things happening. I mean, things that are worth shedding tears for. I'm not like making fun of him. You know, his offensive line coach died before the season last year and, and things like that. But uh, Teddy Bridgewater almost lost his leg. You know, uh, Yeah, right. Exactly. So, you know, he'll come in sometimes and be very salty and be very annoyed. um, And we can't tell necessarily whether it's us or not. And he won't be interested in answering questions. And then there'll be other times where he seems much more calm and, uh, maybe more prepared for that week's game or relaxed or whatever it might be. There are some times where they've lost games and he's come out and given some of his best and most insightful press conferences. And there are times where they've won and he's come out and not wanted to answer any questions at all. And we never really know. Yeah. And I, I've learned not to take it personally because sometimes you'll think, okay, I got a great angle here. I'm going to ask him this really great question. And then he'll just be like, nah, not answering that today. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, and you just have to, move on to the next one, I guess. And I understand that. I mean, these are guys who are sleeping three or four hours a day during the regular season, grinding themselves into a pulp, trying to win games here. And we're always talking about how they're going to get fired. So they, they can't necessarily be thrilled with us. But one thing that I greatly respect about Mike Zimmer, and he's Parcelsian in this way, is that he's a horrible liar. He is so bad at lying. So when he's trying to lie on the podium, you know he's trying to lie. And mostly he doesn't even try to lie. He just kind of gives it to you straight. So if you say, hey, what do you think of how this player has played? You know, sometimes he might either blow you off because he doesn't want to lie or just come out and say straight, yeah, uh, the guy hasn't been very good and he needs to be better or something like that. And when you look around the league, 
more and more of these young coaches, they want to tell you everything's great all the time. They want to go to the podium and say, oh, or we're, we're just trusting our process. We're just trusting our process. And if, if I had to go from covering Mike Zimmer, who's honest and straightforward and can be harsh, to a coach who just BS'd me all the time, I would not be very happy. So I'll take the days where he shoots down a good question or whatever uh, a million times over to get real answers and real insight about the game from him um, as opposed to just having sunshine blown up my rear uh, all the time because nobody – I mean, that doesn't give us anything to work with. We can't tell the fans what's really going on when you just sit there and say everything is okay. Speaking of sleeping three or four hours a night, Matthew, uh, Josh was telling me about everything that you do in, in, in covering the Vikings, and I'm curious how many hours are in your day. I mean, for, for, for us mortals, there's 24 hours in a day, but for a guy like you who does all this stuff, it seems like there's like 28 to 30 hours a day, right? Well, I think it's mostly because I just have no other life. Um, so I get a lot done when all I do with my life is sort of my job. But you're married, was, you're, you're married though, right? There, I, I, I am, yes. But my wife is also in the business as well. She does play-by-play for the Minnesota Lynx here. So she's on the road a lot with the basketball team. And she also works for a news station here and does other things too. So we're kind of both always busy and away from each other a lot, which gives me tons of opportunities to watch old football games from the 90s, but also to do a lot of work, too. And I I think maybe it's at some point in my life, becoming an adult, I said, you know, I'm just not a very interesting guy. So (laughs) I'm just going to do my job the best I can all the time because I I don't like to go to bars. I don't have a favorite Netflix show. I basically just like to – try to do the best I can at covering the Vikings for these fans who listen to our station. And that is fun for me. It's like work is more fun than what fun is to other people. And I, you know, it's a mentality that I think some people um, that I work with here in the twin cities have in the media. And then there are other people who like to, they like to wind down or whatever, but that's just not really me. So if I'm putting out articles at two in the morning or something, uh, you're it's probably because my, winding down from going out and covering the team is, well, you know, I had an interesting angle that I thought of, so I'm going to write it down or whatever, and then it'll turn into a longer story and that sort of thing. So I, I think it's more of just, I, I always wanted to do this. And for a while I worked at a grocery store and for a while I worked at a McDonald's. And so this is a ball for me. And, uh, you know, not everybody feels exactly the same way, but since I don't have anything else going on except for having to walk the dog, I like to spend a lot of time doing it. Yeah, I got to know, uh, just from reading a lot of your stories that, you know, where you embed those links and, uh, to, uh, to plays and you really break down a play. And you were talking a little bit about how Zimmer's really good to work with um, on that sort of thing. Uh, I'm just, it's, it's almost become a must for NFL beat writers to do that in their work. Um, did that come naturally for you, like grinding tape and, and breaking things down and, and seeing the game um, the way you need to see it to write clearly about it? Or did you have to like work, you know, learn how to do that? Oh, yeah. No, you definitely have to learn how to do it. And, and this is where, um, you know, the, I think it can be hard for fans to understand kind of who to read and who knows what they're talking about with things like this and things that you can know and things that you can't know. And this is where actual journalistic experience sort of plays into it. And this is 
I'm not down on like fan blogs or anything like that um, because there are a lot of them that do a really good job. But if you're just kind of winging it and guessing based on what you see on the coach's tape, you're probably not going to give the most accurate analysis that you can um, if you have other resources. And so what I tend to do is lean on the people that know more than I do. Um, so there are a few uh, coaches out there, high school coaches, who will watch NFL tape and give you an idea of what's going on. I work with a former NFL quarterback and a former NFL offensive lineman on my show on a weekly basis, and I love asking those guys, what did you see on this play? What happened on this play? And when I got the job in 2016 to come cover football every day, I had been more of a hockey guy before this, a hockey reporter anyway, and uh, so I, I just I bought a bunch of books. I just went to whatever book website that had football books and I bought the book on defense, the book on offense, the book on scouting and all these things and just started to read them and try to better understand what was going on on the actual football field. And then I could go, and this is where it really helps you. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, Terrence Newman, Mm -hmm. uh, one time I I asked him about one receiver and he said, well, what do you know about route running? And I said, I know absolutely nothing about route running in comparison to you. Mm-hmm. And so he said, okay, I'm going to break it down for you. And we spent a good five, seven, ten minutes talking about all the things that make Stefan Diggs a good route runner. And then I can apply that to my writing. And then I wrote the article and I brought it back to Terrence Newman. And I said, how did I do? Mm-hmm. Like, did I capture this correctly? And he was able to give me feedback on even what I wrote. So I think if you're constantly sort of cross-checking these things as you should as a journalist, you can present the right information to fans about how this stuff actually works. If you're watching and you're guessing and you're sort of throwing stuff at the wall, you'll probably get some of it right, but I'm not, you know, I, I get a little nervous even reading some articles about that stuff if I don't feel like it's somebody who I can really trust their knowledge. So it's, uh, it's definitely one of those things where watching the, the clips, or whatever from the Mm -hmm. coach's tape is a very small part of the entire process of trying to, you know, present that type of piece. You, yeah, you have a close relationship, working relationship with Sage Rosenfels, um, who had, you know, he was, uh, he was in line to be the Vikings quarterback when Favre appeared um, and, and, and took over and took the, you know, the the Vikings by storm. Um, But I I mean, Sage is like, he is outstanding on air with you uh, on the podcast that you do. I'm sure you probably learn a lot from him. Just, I mean, just shooting the breeze with him, talking with him when you do your podcast. Oh yeah. And what's incredible about him is that he knows Sean McVay. So that uh, is a big helper right there. Um, what no? What's great about journeymen and backup quarterbacks, guys who have been around, is that they usually ran into a bunch of different offenses. And so yeah. Sage Rosenfeld, I mean, he played for Gary Kubiak, and here shows up Gary Kubiak uh, in Minnesota. They're like, okay, well, this is going to help, I think, for this guy who spent years playing with him. And so it's not just his experience of being a Minnesota Viking, which does help a little bit, but um, it helps even more of just how much he knows from all the NFL experience and he was a guy that would have to learn the other team's offense to run scout team all the time yeah. so he would learn how uh, you know all the teams that Houston or the Vikings or whatever played so he could do that in practice and that amount of knowledge is just I mean I, I think of myself and trying to get better and better at understanding what's going on in the football field and then 
Sage comes out to practice one day and tells me the route combination, the pass protection, the defense, the, what the linebacker's doing, all those things in a snap of his fingers. So I try when I'm talking with him to you know, get him to, to break stuff down a little bit um, so fans can understand what they should be thinking about certain plays or players or the offense or whatever else, what went right, what went wrong. But off the air, he's a tremendous resource too because he's just so willing – um, he's he's not the guy at all to be like, oh, you didn't play the game, so whatever. He's always willing to be like, oh, yeah, actually, here's what happened on a play. And so he and I did a, an article about QB sneaks one time where he broke down, and it's remarkable with football, right? And so my favorite part about it is it just never ends with the amount of details that go into this stuff. Yeah. And, and he broke down every part of a successful QB sneak for me. So, um, you know, that, that's the thing is, is sometimes, you know, you have ex-players who are on TV or something who kind of are asked to give you their 30-second analysis, and you think – Oh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about or whatever else, but I get to talk with Sage for three hours a week and really soak up everything that he has to bring. So it's a, I see it as a huge advantage for doing my job and for presenting um, the information to Vikings fans to be able to have someone like that. And you just recently had a, a really, uh, it was like a really football nerd moment uh, on one of your podcasts recently because one of the things that's going on in Vikings camp is that they were, they were trying to find a holder for field goals. And you and you had Sage break down. Okay, t- tell us what it's like to be a holder and what goes into becoming a good holder. And I just the amount of information that he provided on that was like it was it was eye opening. I'm like you know I never really even thought of that. But it, you know he essentially said it was just all about repetition. And if you're in, you know, especially if you were in college and you did it, just think of the th- the how many thousands of times you would have held you know throughout your college career. Um, and so like obviously it would be something that you would be able to bring to the team when you were. Uh, you know, when you made it into the professional ranks. So anyway, it was kind of like a, a very nerdy football moment, but it was it was eye-opening for a fan like me. Well, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I love the endless amount of minutia and details. Oh, yeah. And what I found was that I met um, program director early in my career who ta- said, you know, something to the effect of, hey, no one cares who the left guard is. And what I've discovered is everyone oh, yeah. cares who the left guard is, and everyone <laughs> wants to know about the holder. It's if Pat it's Elfline. Topic, right? if, if they got a wide receiver holding, everyone wants to know what the hell's going on here, and they want to know about you know, what the backup quarterback does. They want to know about the blocking scheme, if it, if it matters, if it's got some sort of relevance to how the team is going to play. And uh, I, I love that part of it. I, I, I think I would get bored if I only tried to talk about sort of the starting quarterback all the time or just come up with, you know, your kind of generic takes on the team. Um, I think that my medium has really evolved a lot in that way. Yeah. So it's my favorite part that I can do all these things. I can you do the film. I can do that. But I can rant about Kirk Cousins if I want to also. I'm curious about your Twitter fights. Uh, why do you engage in them and – do you ever, when you're in the middle of one of them, say, what am I doing here? Arguing with this egg, maybe, or just this total, <laughs> this total stranger? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that I generally enjoy back and forth uh, with people, and 95% of fans are so awesome on Twitter. Like, they ask good questions, and they have good points, and – they, you know, we, it's a good way, I would say a great way to figure out what topics work, right? I mean, if, 
you want to talk about something that's interesting with the Vikings, or maybe I think it's interesting, but I get no response on it when I write it or put it out there, then maybe it, it wasn't as good as I thought it was. And then sometimes things catch like wildfire and I'm surprised that it's catching like wildfire, but that makes me sort of say, all right, I need to look at this and maybe this is something I should be talking about. And I, I generally think that most fans love when they get a response from somebody that they listen to um, that, you know, if you're talking about, uh, let's say arguing about Teddy Bridgewater or something, which is very common um, that, you know, okay, let me, let me tell you my thinking a little more in detail or show you kind of where my information is coming from on my opinion on Teddy Bridgewater that I can, you know, kind of engage there and, and I think make people want to listen more, hear more, and kind of show that, um, you know, that, 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 that I want it to be sort of an interactive experience. We're not like a big phone call station, so that's a, another good way to, to get those, the feedback. So I like all of that, and generally people are really awesome and nice. But there are also people who are not awesome and nice. So if you're in the middle of kind of trying to break something down or talk with other people who are just fans of the team, like genuine fans of the team, and people are coming in being a-holes, then you're like, eh, go away. You know, and it's like, yeah. well, I'm, I'm, do I'm doing this anyway, so I'm you know, going to respond to them too on occasion. And then what I, what I found too is that, and I don't know if this goes for all markets, but there are a lot of fan bloggers and things like that who, the best way I could put it, really desperately want attention and will try to sort of undermine real reporters to, um, you know, get, get themselves some attention. So they'll say something that you're reporting or whatever is just like not true or that you're, you know, full of crap or whatever, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and they'll basically try to insult you and take you down in order to pump themselves up and get themselves attention. That is one particular annoyance of mine. It's like, okay, well, if you can't do it based on your work, I guess this is how you do it. So yeah. that's where I will be just decidedly uh, rude, <laughs> you right. know, just, go away, don't care about you, you're not going to use me to get your attention and that sort of thing. Um, so, I, I mean, I think overall it's a great experience talking to people, but anytime you sort of dip your foot in that pool, you're going to get bit from time to time. And I guess if people don't want to get bit back, then they shouldn't do that, right? right? right. I mean, if you, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm a sports talk radio host. Like, right. Do you not expect me to respond with something back if you – uh, you know, are a jerk about something. So I don't know. I mean, in general, it, it is one of those things that I'll tweet back at somebody and never think about it again. And then I'll come back and everyone's like, Oh, you started a Twitter war. I'm like what? I just told someone to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> not that big of a deal. Really? Do you try not to keep it personal? I mean, when you're talking with these jerks, do you try and just steer the conversation back to, back to neutral territory or, or, or do you mix it up and, and you have no problems getting personal with some of these jerks that you talk with? Always depends on who it is and what they're trying to do. I mean, if it's somebody, if somebody just said, comes in and says, if you think this, you're an idiot. Okay. I mean, that's not, all right. That's fine. Right. Like maybe, I mean, we can all be wrong about everything. Kirk Cousins might go 16 and zero and win a Super Bowl. I don't know. Um, so we, you know, I might be an idiot on this particular topic. So that's fine. Um, but, but some people try to make it a little more personal in, in my direction of, oh, you have this, um, wh whatever, some bias or something like this. It's yeah. like, look, I, I don't care 
about the team or whatever. I, I just do my job. Okay. So, you know, it, it, you'll get those people and Bridgewater is a good example. I'm sure you've seen oh, yeah. me argue with people about that, where it's like, you love Bridgewater. It's like, look, I barely talked to the guy. He got hurt when I moved here. And I'm just telling you what all the research and all the, you know, 25 players and 10 coaches and analytics people and everything else have told me about him. And I'm bringing it to you. You're welcome. Uh, but when someone comes in and, you know, is, is trying to make it some sort of bias thing or whatever, I guess that's one of those things where, like, there are a few things where it'll kind of set me off a little bit and I will snipe back. Or if it's somebody who has 60,000 followers but pretty clearly doesn't, then it's probably one of those <laughs> sort of e- egomaniac YouTubers or something. Yeah, Those people, I don't this is sort of getting into the weeds of this, but there are people now who do sports stuff who I don't think care about the teams at all and aren't reporters. They're just egomaniacs who are desperate for people to watch their YouTube. Right. And you're like, is this your job? Or like, who, who are you? You don't even live in Minnesota. You don't go to the games. You're not credentialed. You're just a weird guy who's yelling at me online. So in that case, I, I want to always respect like fans who are genuine and listen to the show and try to explain what I'm thinking. But when I feel like it's somebody who's just trying to kind of you you know argue with me to get themselves attention, then I, I have no patience for that. And I, I really don't mind if they want to go out and be like, "This guy's a big jerk." They're like, "Fine, yeah. I don't care what you think," because I get paid every other Sunday uh, or every other Friday based on my work, not what some YouTuber thinks. But that's sort of that's sort of maybe being a little too general, but there I think everyone can relate to that that they know what people um, like that uh, how they sort of approach the social media of trying to get any ounce of attention out of uh, you know Twitter or whatever. So it, it always depends on a case to case basis of who I want to smack right. upside the head on Twitter. <laughs> Well, let's steer it away from uh, you know Twitter egomaniacs and talk about something that you that you are fond of, and that is the journeyman quarterback. And I wanted to, I just want, I, I don't know if I've ever heard you express like who your favorite all-time journeyman quarterback is. I thought I would ask you that, and I would tell you that mine. I think I, I gave it a little thought, and after being a Vikings fan for all these years, I. My favorite one is I have to say Gus Farratt is probably like my all-time favorite journeyman quarterback. What? Who? How about yeah, you, Matt, Matthew? Gus is a, Gus is an awesome guy too, which makes it always great. Like when you when you, you know if you're talking about meeting former star players, yeah, you might get a nice guy, you might get a not nice guy, you don't know. But ninety percent of journeymen are awesome dudes with great stories, and Gus Farratt is definitely that. Like I asked Gus Farratt on the air once about the 99 yard touchdown and he's got like a framed yes. picture still in his house of it it's like one of his favorite moments of his career bernard barian uh, right yeah yep, exactly yeah. and he talked about throwing touchdowns to randy moss basically when he had to come in the game that it was like i'm just throwing the ball up to randy moss because i don't care what the play is if i'm getting this opportunity in the nfl and randy moss is out there i'm not checking down and and that's you know that they all have that's why I love them so much, I yeah. think, is because they all just have such great stories, um, not just from the times that they were around the NFL. Sage Rosenfels, for example, jogged out next to Brett Favre when he returned to Green Bay with the Vikings. I mean, yeah. he's right there walking out next to a top five all-time NFL quarterback in the one of the biggest moments of his career. I mean, how cool is that? 
But then there's also that they usually have great stories as people, too, where they're never guys who are not often. I, I guess maybe Vinny Testaverde would be this, but not often first round picks or something. Right. They're usually some guy who was supposed to have no chance whatsoever to ever be in the NFL and somehow carved out a 14 year career. And I think that my favorite is probably Ryan Fitzpatrick, because this guy has been in the league for absolutely ever is super self-aware, like understands who Ryan Fitzpatrick is in the world of the NFL. He doesn't think he's some secret superstar that everybody overlooked. He thinks that he is good enough to play in the league and has gotten a lot of shots and has just been like so much fun. And everyone who's ever played with Ryan Fitzpatrick has talked about just how much they love playing with the guy. And uh, he has a great sense of humor, as you saw from the Deshaun Jackson thing, Mm -hmm. where he wore Deshaun Jackson's clothes after a win and and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I mean, imagine all the stories that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. I hope he starts a podcast after uh, he's done playing. But, I mean, I could go I could go on and on. I mean, there's there's probably 20 or 30 that at some point I picked for a Madden team just because I wanted to win with that guy. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, Matthew. So I've been watching journeyman quarterbacks for like the last uh, 30 years, uh, since 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 huh. the Bernie Kosar days. I've been I've been watching uh, journeyman quarterbacks, so I am well versed in them as well. Hope hopefully, but Baker Mayfield will uh, will change well, the narrative here. Well, and, wait a minute. Who's your favorite? My favorite journeyman Browns yeah. Browns yeah. quarterback. Vinny uh, Vinny had the most success. He yeah. he he took the Browns to the playoffs. So I, I would mm. have to say Vinny well, Testaverde. So okay, for for me, it's Kelly Holcomb. Because Kelly Holcomb was definitely one of those, like, wait a minute, is this somebody posing as a quarterback? Like, this can't be, this guy can't actually be the starting quarterback for this team, right? And then 429 yards. I I was at that playoff game in Pittsburgh, right? I was was at that game, and it it was amazing. And Browns fans were excited about him the following season, and then he fell flat on his face. Like like a lot of Browns quarterbacks have. Exactly. Hopefully, (laughs) Hopefully Baker finally changes the narrative. I, I wanted to sort of bring things to the news of of the day and just curious your thoughts on Andrew Luck's uh, sudden retirement. Well, I mean, I think like everybody else, I was really surprised and it kind of was a gut punch for me a little bit just because I really enjoyed watching that guy play. I mean, he um, was the generational talent that actually lived up to that hype when he was healthy. And how many guys can we actually say that for like ever? Right. I mean, that get the, the, the sports illustrated cover of the next all time great NFL player. And then they actually look like that. They come out. He came out and with kind of an atrocious roster, won 11 games back to back years and went to the playoffs and AFC championship game. And he always just seemed to find a way to win. And he was the leader, the toughness. He related to people and he could throw the hell out of the ball and, it could make a play when he needed to. It just, I mean, everything that you ever wanted out of a quarterback, it was Andrew Luck. And then he did it with such aw shucks type of grace, if you will, that uh, you, you kind of forgot that he was the guy that had all this hype. I mean, even guys that have worked out like John Elway, like everyone thinks John Elway is a jerk because of what he did with Baltimore, even if he was right to do it. Right? For a long time in his career, when I was growing up, I feel like I remember analysts thing uh you know john a great quarterback but this is the same guy who wouldn't you know get drafted by the colts and, and I, I mean usually that those sort of things end up with generational talent even lebron james who 
you know, is kind of a wholesome guy now at this point, like a dad who's coaching his AAU team, he still dealt with all this insane amount of pressure and drama and everything else as generational talents usually do. Alex Rodriguez, think about him too. And how many have handled it like Andrew Luck did? Very, very few, I think. And uh, it's, to me, that was always super impressive. And I thought it said everything that his number one wide receiver put out the thing on Instagram or Twitter and just said that he was dedicating his season to Andrew Luck and everything else like that. I mean, I, I think what your, how your teammates react says a lot about you as a player. And, and so that from, from that perspective, I guess I was just sort of down about it. And, but from the side of being a reporter, I was not surprised at all by the explanation. I mean, you see on a week-to-week basis as a reporter what these guys go through um, on, on even a surface level, and I'm just aware that it goes way deeper than this, of just having to get your body ready to play an NFL game. And that can be a really depressing experience for players. And one former player described it as being a ghost when you're on the injured list and you're not practicing. Um, even if you're Andrew Luck, it has to be this feeling of being separated from the team that you're supposed to lead. And and that must be really, really hard. So, you know, you get a lot of guys whose love for the game gets diminished by quite a bit when they have to deal with injuries. And so from that perspective, uh, it it wasn't super shocking that someone who had dealt with so much wouldn't want to do it anymore. My problem with this is the timing. Uh, I mean, we're two weeks away from the start of the season here, and I, I don't begrudge Andrew Luck if he wants to do other things in his life if football is taking a toll. I mean, I, I understand all that, and, and and he just doesn't love the game as, quite as much anymore. I, n- no issues with that. If he wants to stop playing, that's fine, but he's doing it two weeks before the start of the season. I mean, the thought just didn't dawn on him two weeks ago. I mean, he's been thinking about this for a really long time, he could have done this before the draft. The Colts could have drafted their next uh, quarterback. Uh, it, just the timing of this seems off. And, and and I understand the fans booing him because the season's about to start and, the, and their star quarterback in a season of high expectations has suddenly bailed on him. Well, if I had to guess, and he didn't say this uh, explicitly anywhere, so I, I'm not sure, but my guess would be that he was trying, that through this entire thing he was thinking or pushing toward I'm going to play, I'm going to play, I'm going to play. And then it finally got to a point where the season was upon them and he was realizing this isn't getting better, whatever he was dealing with this offseason. Nobody was ever quite clear, and maybe he wasn't 100% sure what type of injury he was dealing with, that it got to a point where it was basically, well, this isn't going to work and I don't want to sit out another season and deal with this and deal with the week-to-week of people asking questions constantly and not – knowing when I'm going to get back on the field. So that would be my guess at an explanation. I understand fan outrage. And I guess more than anything, um, it was just, I, I, I don't want to like go off about, oh, fans are bad and they cheer for players who have hit their wives and things like that. Because I, I see a lot of that on Twitter, and I feel like that's a little bit too far to kind of conflate those two things. But um, I think it was more of just a shocked, immediate reaction to do that. But at the same time, I just thought, man, you guys have gotten a pretty good quarterback in there in Indianapolis for a really long time. And, and, and the guy before guy, him wasn't too bad either. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, this this guy, like you come from Manning and then to him, and, and th- here's a guy who's um, you know just playing through injury and everything else all the time throughout his career to get out there for you 
and you're going to boo him, really? I mean, he's a pro bowler four times, and he's brought you a lot of success with not always great teams, and at one point, I think, pretty embarrassing management that would trade a first-round pick for, uh, what was the guy, Richardson. So it's like, I mean, really? Like, uh, they they put together pretty bad teams around him, and he had to carry them a lot, and this is how you're going to treat him, but um, I, I think there is a difference between a decided reaction and an instant reaction to something, and if the people who were booing had to do it over again after this, I think they probably wouldn't boo. Yeah, you, you just said it. It was a heat-of-the-moment reaction. I mean, the fans are learning at this preseason game that their season is going to be greatly diminished, so... It was an in-the-moment reaction. Uh, I, I think today they would shake Andrew Luck's hands and say thanks for all you did for us. But just in the heat of the moment, I completely understand why the fans booed him. Yeah, and I, I also like never, um, I never underestimate people's passion for this either. Uh, you know, I mean, you don't know Andrew Luck. He's not your friend. You are there to see him win you football games, and you paid a lot to be there, maybe not for a preseason game. But in general, people invest a lot into their fandom, and also a lot of times, and I'm not saying this is necessarily right, but they sort of put their normal lives aside when they go to a football game, and uh, it's a way for a lot of people to sort of, um, the same way you would get super into a Netflix or, or show or something like that, but only with lots of more, you know, hitting and hurting you, like, in, in, in front of you. Uh, but, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you kind of are getting away from your normal life and you're sort of uh, investing a lot of your emotions and your heart into something, and then when it breaks your heart, you're mad at it. I mean, it would just be, you know, it would just be like if you're uh, – I don't know if your if your dog uh, chewed up your shoe or something, and you yelled at your dog. Like you, you love your dog more than your shoe, but your first reaction is going to be to yell at your dog because that's just sort of human nature. So, you know, I, I, it was it it was though really sad to hear him say that it hurt him because it was like this guy has been just perfect for you. You know, I mean, the perfect face of a franchise almost the perfect player when he's out there. I mean, if you like pro football focus grades, he was a top five quarterback the last two full seasons he played. I mean, my gosh, he couldn't have given you much more and then broke everything in his entire body basically to be out there. So yeah, if, if they had had time to think about it and then showed up at his retirement press conference and then booed him, I would have said, boy, this was about the worst thing ever. Right. But you know, doing it as he's walking off the field in a state of shock. Well, I guess I understand. Well, I want to get into a couple more things. Uh, we've, we've had you on here a while. I don't want to take too much more time, but I, I did want to get your thoughts. Uh, we talked about the, the, the fate of the Colts, obviously. Um, wanted to talk about um, the, the two teams in our region, the Ravens and the Redskins. And Greg and I were here in the office last night talking about uh, the season last night. And, boy, we're looking at these two teams, and we're like, yeah, I'm really not sure either one of them is going to be very good. And I said – I, it was, it's going to be interesting to see which one of these teams has a better record by the time it's all said and done, who has a better season. Because if you look at what they have going on uh, in, in different respects, it just doesn't look all that promising for either the Ravens or the Redskins in a lot of ways. And I wanted to uh, – I know you, you, you focus you know, most of your attention on the Vikings, but I wanted to get your thoughts on you know, maybe which one of these teams you could see having a better season. Well, obviously, since the Ravens traded their backup kicker, they're in trouble. I mean <laughs> – they got that uh, extra well, fifth-round okay, pick. So, you know what? 
here's the here's the difference between those two teams though is one of them is run like an excellent NFL franchise that consistently sure. finds ways to win even when Joe Flacco isn't at his best or whatever they find ways to get into the playoffs um, they find a quarterback with the 32nd pick who doesn't even start and then makes his way in and readjust an offense to get Lamar Jackson into the end zone enough times to let the defense do their job. And, you know, John Harbaugh to me is one of the guys that sets the standard in the NFL for great coaching. And I can't say any of that stuff for Washington. I mean, I I don't think that uh, Jay Gruden has done a particularly great job at any point during his career there in Washington. And I think it could be up uh, if they don't succeed this year. I think the organization from the very top of it down is um nothing short of horrendous i mean they they really uh set the bar um basically all the way at the bottom if you can clear uh if you're better than washington as a franchise then you know like that's not that's not jumping very high so um yeah from that perspective i mean there's reason to think that both teams aren't going to be that good but i would bet on baltimore 50 times over i would ever bet on washington especially you know, Case Keenum's there. They don't have a lot of great weapons. Trent Williams isn't going to play, at least to start. I mean, that's that's a really, really tough situation. I am much more of a Lamar Jackson believer, uh, in part because of his age and how young he was getting in to start uh, as an NFL quarterback. And even though he had his bad moments throwing the football, like I, I think he can actually grow and improve. And I also believe in him as a dude. I mean, I think that Lamar Jackson has a special type of personality that people galvanize around. And, and maybe maybe like 10 years ago, I would have, as a freshman in college, said, stop telling me about leadership and culture. It's boring and stupid. But having now been an NFL reporter and you see how a quarterback's personality impacts everyone around him, uh, Teddy Bridgewater being a great example of that, now, I see someone like Lamar Jackson, his personality and his ability to kind of do more than you think he's capable of. Uh, yeah, I, I, maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's next year. Maybe they need a little more around him. I don't know. But I, I think he's a guy that will achieve a lot during his career, even though he doesn't have the perfect throwing motion. Were you on his, on his bandwagon uh, the whole time, I guess, uh, when he was coming out and people were talking about him possibly playing another position and how he, he was so adamant about playing quarterback where were you on that were you on board with that the, the whole time do you have do you have receipts for that Matthew I, I do Ma- probably too many uh, you talk about <laughs> fighting with people online yeah. I think he was definitely a guy well what I don't understand is Josh Allen goes to Wyoming doesn't do a thing has a rocket for an arm but no accuracy can't read defenses very well slow to process and he's a great athlete right and no one asked him to play tight end and here's Lamar Jackson, who has a great college career, is super accomplished, takes a team that wasn't even particularly good and makes them competitive all the time, basically just with him, uh, with everyone on his back. He's got receivers dropping the ball. He doesn't have a good offensive line, you know, all that sort of thing, and is running an NFL-style offense in Louisville uh, as opposed to maybe Wyoming that might not be. And yet it's Josh Allen who gets picked ahead of Lamar Jackson. And that just drove me crazy. I mean, sure, there's reason to pick Josh Allen, just like there would have been reason to pick Ryan Mallett because he's huge and he throws it real hard. But, I mean, Lamar Lamar Jackson, as accomplished as he was, and then you add his personality to it and the character and the makeup of the person, and I just could not process him dropping to the very bottom of the first round. I mean, 
I'll take a chance and, and lose with that guy or whatever every time um, when he checks off those boxes. You know, somebody who can do special things, even if he's not the perfect thrower. There's a lot of NFL quarterbacks who have been really good throughout their careers without having the perfect technique or yeah. whatever else for throwing the football. And there aren't many, um, you know, like, like Josh Allen, who didn't accomplish anything at Wyoming. Uh, not even a good program, and then you know have gone on to be great in the NFL. So I think that was the one that particularly drove me crazy. I didn't think he was a better prospect than Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, but really, really liked him. And also, I mean, look look at the way the NFL is going. I mean, how many quarterbacks now out of the 32 starters can take off and run and make a special play on third down? And even Mitch Trubisky, who I don't really believe in at all as a passer, on third and seven, he'll get you and run for eight yards and keep the ball moving. So, you know, I I've, I have always probably liked Lamar Jackson maybe maybe even too much, um, but I think that that style of quarterback is going to continue to play well in the NFL as we go forward. All right, uh, last one I wanted to hit on um, is very is very uh, is very selfish of me here. I'm I'm thinking of of not getting uh, the Sunday ticket for the first time since I think 2004. I still have I, I still have a little bit of time here to make my decision. Uh, I want you to give me one Minnesota Vikings-related reason for me to keep it and one to get rid of it. Yeah, Josh stopped watching the games in real time last year. He, he wanted to enjoy oh, his wow. Sunday afternoons. I had, I had better things to do, Matthew, for the first time in my life probably. But no, could you give me a well, reason, one or, yeah, the, one or the give, other? Give my man some hope here. <laughs> okay, so Kirk Cousins could melt down on a receiver at any time, and I don't know. I don't think you want to miss that. Um, That's true. That's true. <laughs> it. But in, in all honesty, when I look at this team and I go through the schedule and do all that sort of, you know, pick the wins and losses and everything else, uh, it's, it's one of those things where if you simulated the season a thousand times, 500 of those they do really, really well and have a great season and are in the playoffs and are right there at the end. The other 500, maybe it goes completely disastrously in totally classic Minnesota Vikings style, right? Right. So I think if you like the Vikings, you want to be there for it either way, don't you? Um, the the only outcome that is not going to be interesting is maybe a nine and seven first round playoff loss, and then you know that I can't um, pretend that that's going to be interesting. But if it's short of the playoffs, then all hell's going to break loose. And if it's really good, which we know they have the potential to be with all the talent on this team, then you're going to really enjoy it as a Vikings fan. So I I think this is one of those teams that has a pretty wide variance of things that could happen to them, and that makes them just in general interesting. But I don't know your financial situation, so I can't say for (laughs) sure that you should spend your money on league pass. Uh, you mentioned uh, Case Keenum, Matthew, when you were talking about the Redskins, and he, of course, is part of arguably the greatest play in Minnesota Vikings history. I was I was curious what that moment was like for you when he hit Stephon Diggs uh, to beat the Saints in the playoffs. Well, what I remember most about that is when the Vikings got a stop on a third down, the Saints ran right at Linval Joseph, which I think is the dumbest thing ever because he's a monster and he was at the top of his game and they have Drew Brees and instead on a third and one, they run at the best player on the defense. (laughs) Like, oh, great choice. Sean Payton, like who's an offensive genius, make the dumbest possible choice at that moment. And when they stopped the Saints, I started writing, Case Keenum brings back the Vikings. Like I, I, I just deleted everything I had and started writing as fast as I could, Case Keenum brings them back. Because here was my thinking. If he does bring them back, 
then I'm going to have this article out fast. And if he doesn't, then no one is reading anything from Minnesota for weeks. So I just thought, well, uh, you know, let's go for it. And I start writing, you know, about different plays that he had made and how we got to that point. And then, you know, there's long breaks between touchdowns and extra points and all those things. So I'm furiously typing away. And then, you know, they have a couple of plays there where nothing really happens. And then I'm thinking, okay, maybe I've wasted my keystrokes here. And all of a sudden, I mean, kind of right in front of me where I sit up in the press box, right below me, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I sort of look at the safety coming over and think, oh, he's going to tackle digs and here's going to be a field goal as, as if there's never been a crazy field goal type of situation for the Vikings in a playoff game. Right. So that's, that's what I'm sort of thinking in the play is like, oh, wow, they've got a chance to set up a long field goal here. And then, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just madness after that. It's sort of a blur. I mean, there's just people running on the field who aren't even like suited up. Caleb Jones was a practice squad guy running out and grabbing Stefan Diggs. And I thought that, is that allowed? Uh, and you know, you just, it was, it was complete madness. Like I've never seen, it sort of felt like a high school or a college game when you have something go completely crazy and a bunch of people run on the field. And, and that was what it was like. And afterward was, I would say more memorable than the play was the locker room. On one side of the locker room, Brian Robinson is holding his son and just crying uncontrollably. And on the other side of the locker room, Harrison Smith looks like nothing happened. And he says, well, you know, we got a game next week, so move on. <laughs> and it's like, oh, all right, uh, I guess they call you the hitman for a reason. Um, so watching the different players' reactions to all that, um, it, it, it was one of the craziest things for sure that I've ever covered, if not the craziest. Uh, last thing for me, are you buying the hype for my Browns uh, this season? Uh, I guess you'd have to qualify buying. Does that mean, like, make the playoffs? I think they can make the playoffs. I don't see them as being a Super Bowl contender just yet. But, yeah, I, I mean. Nine, ten I, wins, I somewhere to. in there? I yeah, I, I, here's, I, here's why I want to. Because I own a Tim Couch jersey. And the reason is yeah. when I was maybe 13 years old and they came back, I was like, I'm going to be a Browns fan. I, I, I am all in on this new team that's coming back, and they've got a great backstory. And I used to play with the Browns on Tecmo Bowl, so I'm going to be a Browns fan. I bought this jersey. And then they were just trash for a really, really long time. And so that thing, that didn't work out. But, uh, you know, I mean, when you have fans there that care as much as Browns fans do and who have been through so much, I think Vikings fans can relate to it. I grew up in Buffalo. Bills fans can relate to it where you've just seen your team fail in so many spectacular ways, if they finally do it, it will really be incredible. And what Cleveland had with LeBron James winning the title was something like very few cities ever see or have happen. I mean, even Chicago with the Cubs, like good for you, but the Bulls won a bunch of these, you know, like it's not like Cleveland has a bunch of these. And so if the Browns did it, I think it would be so much fun uh, I don't think Super Bowl is in the cards just yet, but the fact that they even have a team that's going to be competitive and fun and entertaining. We'll take it. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I wish Hard Knocks was there again this year. Yeah, exactly. So we thank you for coming on, man. It's been it's been a great hour chatting with you. Lot, lots of awesome insight, and, uh, and we can't wait for the start of the season. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, – I know, I know Josh will be reading you, and, ch- and we'll have to check out your podcast too. So uh, where, where can people get that that aren't in your uh, immediate area? Uh, t- tell us that. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, if you want to listen to the show, we do talk a lot of uh, around the league type stuff, not just Vikings. Uh, Purple Daily is the show. You can get that pretty much wherever you get podcasts. If you go to you know iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and the website is Score North. Score is S K O R. It would take me a little while to explain that to you, so just trust me on it. S K O R North dot com is the site. And where can people read your stuff? That's it. Yeah, Score North dot com. Uh, oh, oh, got, 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 got it. Got it. Yep. yep. Okay. Got it. All right, thanks, man. We really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to uh, continuing following your uh, your awesome coverage. This has been uh, has been a thrill for me to have you on. So thanks a lot. Awesome. Well, I uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on, and um, let me know if you uh, happen to stumble across some games, good games from 1996. We'll do. Absolutely, we'll do. Yeah. Well, well what's <laughs> ne- what's next up in the rotation? Where, where where are we going next on YouTube? Oh, you know what's great is once you've watched enough of them, they just bring them to you. Oh, which right. Is nice. Not really. Like, it's a bad thing for politics for that to happen for people, but it's yeah. a great thing that YouTube does for people who love games from 94 to 96. So what do we have, like, 01 Bucks Falcons, something like that, next in Oh, I was, yeah, I was watching Tony Banks and Quincy Carter play Ooh, the other day in, you know, geez. Washington, Dallas or something. They just show up, and they're like, do you think these quarterbacks are hilarious? Watch them. And I say, thank you. <laughs> You can find an old Browns game with Spurgeon Wynn playing quarterback. Or, or a Vikings oh, game. Yeah. Right, oh, yeah. e- exactly. So, Matthew, thanks so much, man. Thanks, man. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. All right, uh, awesome guest, and uh, we've been going on for long enough, so that'll do it for uh, this episode of Justin Under Sports Podcast. But we'll be back next week uh, with more NFL talk and, and all, all the usual stuff. So thanks for listening to